Welcome to the teaching ministry of Bay Ridge Christian Church. This teaching is from the series, The King is Coming. This series looks at seven titles of the coming Messiah found in the book of Isaiah. These titles were all part of a special series of songs that Christians in earlier times sang the week before Christmas, culminating on Christmas Eve with the singing of O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. We hope this helps you focus on the glory of Jesus, our coming King. Uh, today's text, and actually will you be using this text several weeks, is going to be Isaiah chapter 11, verses 1 to 5. Isaiah 11, 1 to 5. I'll be using the New International Version. Uh, the words will be up here on the screen. They're also in your welcome booklet. And, um, and also later on I'm going to reference both the O Antiphon and this other poem that we're providing each week that'll be in the devotional guide, but they're also in your welcome booklet as you go along, but it'll also be up here on the screen. So Isaiah chapter 11, verses 1 to 5, hear now the words of the sovereign God. A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots, a branch will bear fruit. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him, the spirit of wisdom and of understanding the spirit of counsel and of power, the spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. And he will delight in the fear of the Lord. He will not judge by what he sees with his eyes or decide by what he hears with his ears, but with righteousness he will judge the needy. With justice he will give decisions for the poor of the earth. He will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth. With the breath of his lips he will slay the wicked. Righteousness will be his belt and faithfulness, the sash around his waist. So I've mentioned a number of times before, I tend to like both music and books and movies that are longer and more complex uh, because that complexity, the, the complexity of plots, really gives you a time to kind of delve in and develop some ideas. And the book of Isaiah is very much like that. Uh, it is a very rich story but you have to kind of pay attention to what, what's going on or else you can get lost very easily. If you ever try to jump into a TV series partway through and it's really referencing things that happened in the past, you're utterly lost. Well, we don't want to do that with the book of Isaiah. And Isaiah is a huge story. Isaiah was a prophet, prophesied a little bit more than 700 years before the birth of Christ. And it was a time when Assyria was a rising power. And Assyria conquered and took over the ten northern tribes, and Isaiah prophesied to Judah, the southern tribes, that because they were not responding to the Lord, they too were going to be, he uses an imagery at one place, they were going to be cut down like a forest. They were going to be just chopped down because of their disobedience, and but Isaiah speaks a word of hope, and in fact, the last third of the book is developed with the hope that after this happens, God is going to restore them. And one of the key themes in the book is that part of this is going to happen by there is a coming king who will restore God's people. And he is referred to by many different titles and names and metaphors throughout the work, and so we're going to be uncovering in this series seven of these. We're not going to do them in the order Isaiah did them, but rather in the order that as the church developed them across time, they sang them. Because the first one is actually Emmanuel, 
in Isaiah, and it's going to be the last one. We're going to look at that on Christmas Eve. But there are these seven different titles, and it's important to understand this is not only complex because Isaiah is telling a complex story, but he's reaching back and pulling things that have been spoken in the Scripture before him. He develops those ideas in his own book. They're further developed in the Old Testament. Then the New Testament picks them up and develops them. And then we're going to be hearing how the church, in singing these O antiphons, took them and developed them. And then we're also going to be mentioning a a guy who lives today who's an Anglican priest named Malcolm Guide and how he does it. This is a lot of layers, but with that, it can be a very, very rich story. So we're going to spend seven weeks looking at these titles of Jesus, the coming king. And the first one we're looking at today here is the fact that Jesus is the word of wisdom. He is one who is anointed with the spirit of wisdom. So notice in Isaiah 11, 1 and 2, we're told that there's going to be this shoot coming up from the stump of Jesse. Now remember Isaiah had said, Israel was going to be cut down like a, like a forest of trees. They were going to be cut down. All that was going to be left was stumps. And he had also said Assyria was going to end up being cut down the same way. But he says, but here's the thing. A shoot's going to come out of Jesse. There's hope because something's going to grow back in its place. And from his roots, a branch will bear fruit. The Spirit of the Lord will rest on him. Spirit of wisdom and of understanding of counsel and power. The Spirit of the knowledge and fear of the Lord. Now, we're going to talk more about Jesse later, because that's going to come back as another one of the titles, the root of Jesse. But all of this is a reference to the coming king. And the first thing Isaiah says here in this passage is, this king is going to be anointed with the spirit of the Lord, the spirit of Yahweh. And Isaiah is already drawing on a rich tradition in the scripture, because In the earlier parts of the Bible, whenever a leader was coming to do something of significance, particularly to try and save and deliver the people or to restore them, he had to be anointed with the Spirit. For example, back in the book of Genesis, you remember the story of Joseph. Joseph's the one that today he's known for his amazing technicolor dream coat and all of that. But, uh, you know, and through several cartoons that have been done for kids, but Joseph was the one who was sold into slavery in Egypt. And At his lowest moment, because he can interpret dreams and he prophesies and tells Pharaoh that a famine is coming, Pharaoh's going to put Joseph in charge of the whole country, right underneath Pharaoh. And he says, here's the reason why. Can we find anyone like this man in whom is the Spirit of God? Now, Pharaoh probably means the Spirit of the gods. But notice Pharaoh says, this guy can be a leader because he's anointed with the Spirit of God or the Spirit of the gods. Therefore, that means he is qualified. Now, of course, that's Pharaoh, who's not even part of the covenant people. But the same thing is seen over and over again in God's people. So when God delivers his people 400 years later, and they are setting up a tabernacle, God says he set aside a man named Bezalel, and he's anointed him with the Holy Spirit because he's going to build the house of God. In Exodus 31, 2, and 3, He says, see, I've chosen Bezalel, son of Uri, the son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah, and I have filled him with the Spirit of God, with skill, ability, and knowledge in all kinds of crafts. So if he's going to build the tabernacle, it's not a matter of him just setting out and building the tabernacle. He has to have the Spirit of God come upon him to enable him to do that. The same thing is said when Joshua is taking over from Moses, and Joshua 
And by the way, let's remind ourselves, uh, what's another form of Joshua's name? What's the Greek form of Joshua's name or English one? Jesus, okay? So Joshua's the one who is going to lead the people into the promised land. Moses can't do it. The law can't get them there, but Joshua is going to get them there. And notice what we're told about him in Deuteronomy 34, 9. Now Joshua, son of Nun, was filled with the spirit of wisdom. Because Moses had laid his hands on him. So notice, Joshua is anointed with the spirit of wisdom. And Isaiah is saying, oh, this king that's going to come and bring us back into the promised land, that he's going to be a second Joshua and a greater Joshua. Just like Joshua was filled with the spirit of wisdom, this coming king is going to be anointed with the spirit of wisdom. And then most preeminently when you consider that this one's going to be a king who's coming we of course look to David and in 1 Samuel 16 we read that Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed David in the presence of his brothers and from that day on the spirit of the Lord came upon David in power and so the key idea that Isaiah is picking up here and bringing up with this is that the king's going to have to be anointed with the spirit of God to lead to deliver, to save God's people, to build back up God's fallen house. He's going to have to be anointed with the Spirit to do this. Isaiah develops this idea throughout his prophecy, and particularly in chapters 40 to 66, he's prophesying 150 years into the future, so 130 years in the future, and saying, you all are going to be in exile, but I'm going to tell you what's going to happen. And one of the things that's going to happen is God is going to bring this anointed leader who's going to restore you. And by the word, just so you understand, the word anointed in Hebrew is Mashiach, from which we get Messiah. And in Greek, it's Christos, from which we get Christ. Christ, Messiah, means anointed one. And Isaiah tells us that this king is going to be anointed. In Isaiah 42.1, he says, Here's my servant who I'm uphold." my chosen one in whom I delight, I will put my spirit on him and he will bring justice to the nations. So Isaiah says, you want to know who the Messiah is? Notice I delight in him, I am pleased with him, and I put my spirit on him. That verse might ring a little bit of a a note in your mind because that's actually what the Father quotes to Jesus at his baptism. Behold, this is my Son in whom I delight. And he says this as the Holy Spirit is descending upon Jesus. Again, these metaphors are picked up over and over again. In Isaiah chapter 61, it says, The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good news, literally to preach the gospel, to uh, buy, to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom to the captives, Uh, and release from darkness for the prisoners. We're going to come back to this, and this is several of the themes that we'll be looking at in the coming weeks. But notice here, uh, Isaiah 42.1, about being anointed, is referenced at Jesus' baptism. When Jesus begins his public ministry, what is the first verse he ever reads and says, today this is fulfilled? It's Isaiah 61.1, the Spirit of the Lord is on me. All of these are referencing Jesus, the coming King, and what they are telling us is he's anointed with the Spirit to bring freedom and justice for those who are being oppressed, to restore the fortunes of God's people, to build up the house and the people of God. 
So he has to be anointed with the Spirit because anyone doing work for God must be anointed with the Spirit. But the idea is developed further because specifically Isaiah says he's going to be anointed with the Spirit of wisdom. Notice in verse 2 in our text that the Spirit of the Lord rests on him, which is like all those verses we just read. But here it's specifically we're told the Spirit of wisdom and of understanding, the Spirit of counsel and of power, the Spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. Now, Notice here, there are ultimately seven terms that are associated here, but there's this three sets of couplets to make six things. But the point is not, well, what is wisdom and what is understanding? What is counsel versus what is knowledge? The point is these are all different ways of referring to wisdom. Okay, uh, And we'll see this over and over again as we look at a few different texts. And these wisdom words, wisdom, understanding, counsel, and knowledge are saying when this king comes, he's going to be a wise king. Now, this is also brought out, if you notice, there is an emphasis on the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord is actually repeated twice in here because he's with the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And then in verse 3, and he will delight in the fear of the Lord. It repeats it. Uh, so that with these two times we're being uh, acknowledged here, this is central. If you want to talk about wisdom, the fear of the Lord, the fear of Yahweh is central. And this is because Isaiah is well aware in the wisdom literature of the Old Testament, we are told this in Proverbs 9.10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. Now notice wisdom Knowledge, understanding, three of the words that Isaiah uses. But fear of the Lord is the beginning of this. It is central to this. If you're going to be a wise person, there has to be fear of the Lord. And in fact, Isaiah later on develops this and, and puts it a little differently. In Isaiah 33, he says this, The Lord is exalted, for he dwells on high. He will fill Zion with justice and righteousness. He will be the sure foundation for your times, a rich store of salvation and wisdom and knowledge, and the fear of the Lord is the key to this treasure. So in Proverbs it says the fear of the Lord is the beginning, and Isaiah as he develops it says, listen, you need to understand, there is a treasure box, and it is full of salvation and wisdom and knowledge that you need, and there's a key to unlock that box. And that key is the fear of the Lord. Now let me hasten and get a little bit because I'm going to bring this up. You and I don't unlock that treasure box. Uh, Isaiah is prophesying to a people who had failed to do this. But the good news is there is a coming king who is anointed with the spirit of wisdom, who walks in the fear of the Lord, and he is a key that unlocks the box that is full of salvation and wisdom and knowledge and understanding and all good things for you and me. So this king is going to delight in the fear of the Lord, and he is going to walk in it himself, and then he's going to lead other people into it. But there's something else about wisdom. It's not only that he's anointed with the Spirit, and it's the Spirit of wisdom, and it leads to the fear of the Lord. Notice Isaiah goes on to tell us that wisdom does not judge by external experience, uh, appearances, 
but sees through all of that to get down and know the truth. Nothing is hidden from this king. Notice in verse uh, 3, he will not judge by what he sees with his eyes or decide by what he hears with his ears. Now, this does not mean he's not paying attention to things, but what it's saying is the truly wise person can't be tricked. People can try to have external appearances, but the wise king can see through all of that and get right down to the heart. And he knows what is true, and he knows what is false. Whatever external appearances are there, he can see. Others may be fooled and therefore respond wrongly, but this king is going to see by the spirit of wisdom, and he will know the truth. Now, this is developed in the New Testament over and over again. I'm helping us see the way these ideas come back again and again. For example, in Mark chapter 2, verse 8, we read this about Jesus. Immediately, Jesus knew in his spirit that this was what they were thinking in their hearts, and he said to them, why are you thinking these things? He's got adversaries around him, the Pharisees, and they're trying to act like they're friendly towards Jesus, but they're thinking in their heart, this man's blaspheming. He's claiming to forgive sins, and only God can do that. Externally, you and I would say, these guys like Jesus. Jesus, however, is anointed with the spirit of wisdom and says, no, 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 I know what's going on in your heart. You, you may be saying you are with me, which is, by the way, a reminder. Remember when Isaiah began his ministry, he was told you're going to prophesy to a people who honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. And this king comes and he can see through. In John chapter 2, we looked at this uh, earlier this year on the seven signs. Remember, there was a whole group of people who started acting like they wanted to follow Jesus. But in John 2, 24 and 25, we read, Jesus would not entrust himself to them, for he knew all men. He did not need man's testimony about man, for he knew what was in a man. This is wisdom speech in the New Testament. They're saying he doesn't go by external appearances. This whole crowd acted like, Jesus, we love you. you. You did this whole turn in the water to wine, and you cleared the temple, and you came back home, and we think this is awesome. We're going to follow you. And Jesus looks and says, yeah, I, I know where this ends up. And you're in it for the wrong things. I see through to the heart. So Jesus his knowledge runs to the essential nature of who you and I are. This is the New Testament saying he's anointed with the spirit of wisdom. Now the outcome of this, notice in Isaiah's text, is that he establishes justice uh, and righteousness and he rules in justice and righteousness. So in verses 4 and 5 he says, but with righteousness he will judge the needy. With justice he will give decisions for the poor of the earth. And he's going to strike the earth and bring judgment. And then in verse 5, righteousness will be his belt and faithfulness to sash around his waist. Now, understand, part of what Isaiah is saying is all of David's sons, the whole Davidic line, were they ruling in righteousness? Were, were they dealing justly or were they showing favoritism? 
Oh, see, they're constantly showing favoritism. They are falling short. If they're doing the, I'll scratch your back if you scratch mine. I'll, I'll do power plays. I'll make alliances with wicked kings. I'll do all kinds of things. And Isaiah says, no. See, when the king comes and the king's full of wisdom, wisdom always leads to righteousness and holiness. Wisdom leads to evil being punished and righteousness being established. And so this king's going to be full of righteousness and faithfulness, and with this, he's going to bless his people. Now, this may seem like, well, that seems like an odd turn. Why did Isaiah go that way? But it's not. Wisdom is always related to righteousness and justice and faithfulness and the way things ought to be. And the reason for this is because it's lining up with God's pattern in creation. And that's because creation's actually laid out in, with, and by wisdom. There is a pattern, a structure to the universe. And so if you're going to be in wisdom and walk in wisdom, you're going to walk the way the universe is actually created to operate. And if you don't walk that way, you're walking in foolishness, not wisdom. Now, why I say this is, and for example, in some of the wisdom literature that Isaiah is aware of, in Psalm 104, we read, How many are your works, O Lord? In wisdom you made them all. So the psalmist in all of Psalm 104 is about God's creation and all of the beauty and glory we can see in it. But he comes down to verse 24 and he says, see, here's what I understand. You made all of this with wisdom. Proverbs 3, 19 and 20 puts it this way. By wisdom, the, earth laid, uh, the Lord laid the earth's foundations. By understanding, he set the heavens in place. By his knowledge, the deeps were divided and the clouds let drop the dew. Notice again, wisdom, understanding, knowledge. These same words are coming back. But notice what it says is God actually laid the foundations of the earth with wisdom. Creation is made by and with the wisdom of God. So if you want to think about it in old terms, and I talk about this a little bit in the video that will be coming out Tuesday, but if any of you have ever uh, been involved with like textile or making cloth, they have what they call the warp and the woof. One of them was the, I think it was the warp runs the lengthwise, and when, as you're putting the threads across it, that was called the woof. That's how you make fabric. What they're saying here is the warp and the woof of all creation is God's wisdom. To touch creation is to touch the wisdom of God. And to walk in wisdom is to walk with the pattern of the way that God has made the universe. So you walk in righteousness, you walk in justice, because that is the very nature of God, and it is the very nature of the creation that he has made. To walk in wisdom is to align with the very nature and structure of all creation. And to rebel against wisdom is to work for the undoing of our own life and for creation itself. Now I'm going to step aside for just a second. Our culture is working really, really hard to do this right now, to call darkness light and light darkness and bitter sweet and sweet bitter, and to call wisdom folly and folly wisdom. But at the end of the day, you can bang your head on that wall all you want. There is no getting away from it because God has woven it right into the fabric of creation. To be in this universe is to be under the wisdom of God. And you and I can deny 
what is woven down into our chromosomes and say, that doesn't matter, this is why, you can't get away from who God is and how God has made things. And wisdom says, I'm not going to run against the fabric of the universe or the grain of the universe. I'm going to go with it. And this king is coming, and so as a result, he's going to establish righteousness. He's going to establish justice because that is the very nature of the universe. Now, the New Testament picks up on all these ideas we're talking about and proclaims to us that Jesus is not only anointed with wisdom, he actually is the very word of wisdom of God. He is the wisdom of God. And so, for example, in a very familiar passage in John chapter 1, John is actually using wisdom concepts to describe to us who Jesus is. So he begins his gospel this way. In the beginning was the Word. The Greek word is logos. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the Word, uh, was the light of men. Now, the word, word, the Greek word there is logos. And that could mean a word, like I speak a word. But logos was also a wisdom concept that the logos was that which creates and structures and sustains the entire cosmos. It was the principle of all order and structure in the cosmos. And so John says, I want to tell you, this isn't a philosophical concept. It's a person. Jesus, he was there. He is the one who created. He is the one who sustains. He is the one who structures all of creation because he is the wisdom of God through whom all was made and he is the one who orders the whole universe and he is its underlying reality. And that's why John says in verse 4, in him was life. It's not a separate thing. John's saying whatever you touch that is of the creation of God, the reality that is under it, the one who made it, the thing that sustains it is the logos, the word, God's wisdom, and he came to us in flesh. That is who you are dealing with. Now, the church took these, and, and I'm going to put up the song that was sung this morning, j just the English version. But notice how they're reflecting on this idea. Isaiah said he's going to be anointed with the spirit of wisdom. And the New Testament is developing and saying, you need to understand, he is wisdom itself. He is, he is the reality of the universe. So the church, some, you know, over the next four to 500 years, develops and says this, O wisdom, which came from the mouth of the Most High. Because remember, you go back to the beginning, and what do we read? And God said, let there be light. This, this wisdom comes from the mouth of God, and it reaches to the ends of the earth, ordering all things. Isn't that an interesting phrase? Wisdom orders all things. It structures all things mightily and gently, because wisdom knows when to use might and when to use gentleness. And so the prayer is, Come and teach us the way of prudence. Because this is not the way we are, but we need to walk with reality, not against it.
Now, there's also, and these are both in your guide, and they'll be in the devotional guide, what started me down this path a couple of years ago of thinking about doing a series on this is an Anglican priest named Malcolm Guyton. He is a world-class poet, and he wrote a sonnet for each of these seven O antiphons and these seven titles. This is the first time I'd ever heard this. And here's his sonnet, which is a 14-line poem on wisdom. I cannot think unless I have been thought, nor speak unless I have been spoken. I cannot teach except as I am taught, or break the bread except as I am broken. Now notice here what he's saying before we even go on. If you can go back to the previous screen for a second, Beth. Notice what he's saying is, do you see, this is what wisdom is. It's not something, well, it's a nice addition. No, you can't speak unless the wisdom of God spoke you first. You cannot think unless God's wisdom thought you first. There is nothing any one of us could possibly teach unless God's wisdom has taught us first. And we can't come down and break bread unless God has broken us first. You see, wisdom is not something that, that is a nice add-on. It is the thing that creates and sustains us. Now he moves on and he says this, O mind behind the mind through which I seek, O light within the light by which I see, O word beneath the words with which I speak, O founding unfound wisdom finding me. He's, no, he's using found several ways there. He's, and he, he develops in the next line, O sounding song whose depth is sounding me. Do you see what he's saying is, is wisdom's not just neutral out there. It is searching you and I out. Wisdom is seeking out us. O memory of time reminding me, my ground of being always grounding me, my maker's bounding line defining me. Do you hear? This is not some little external thing. He's saying all that is reality is God's word of wisdom. And so he ends, come hidden wisdom, come with all you bring, Come to me now, disguised as everything. You want to know one of the greatest foolishnesses of our age? Where would I find God? Where is there evidence for Him? Where is there not? That's like saying, where would I find air? It literally is one of the dumbest things that can possibly be said. Now, I'm not just trying to make fun of people. Hear what I'm saying. You couldn't even think the question if God had not thought you first. There, God's wisdom is everywhere. We act as if it's hard to find, but it is seeking us out. That is what God is here doing in Jesus Christ. Friend, your problem this week will not be, I wonder where I can find God today. There is nowhere He is not. You will not be anywhere this week where you are not surrounded by the wisdom of God. Now, this leads to actually Bobby's opening verse this morning, 
which is 1 Corinthians 1, 30 and 31, Paul sums all of this up for us this way, all of these rich layers we're talking about. The Apostle Paul says, it is because of Him, Jesus, that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us wisdom from God. That is our righteousness, our holiness, and our redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. Do you hear what Paul's saying is, I hear what Isaiah said, and he was anointed in his human nature. He was anointed with the spirit of wisdom. But I want you to peel back the layer and see that in his deity, he is the wisdom of God. He is God's very wisdom personified for us. And therefore, he is our righteousness. The Greek word for that is dikaios, which means he is our justification. He is your righteousness, or you don't have any. If that key has unlocked the door, it's not your righteousness, it's his righteousness that has done it for you. So he is our righteousness, he is our holiness, he is our redemption. And Paul says, if you get this, then you will boast in the Lord, not in anything that you have done. Because you will understand it is God's wisdom seeking you. And so the only way, see, if this king is going to establish righteousness, like Isaiah said to the end of the earth, Paul's saying there's only one way for it to do that. And that's he's got to give it to us. Because you and I do not work righteousness. That was the problem. The kings of Judah and Israel tried and tried, but they never did. Solomon, who was the wisest of all the kings and the one who founds the whole wisdom movement in the Old Testament, what does he end up doing by the end of his life? Acting like a fool, violating everything he had said before, not walking in the fear of the Lord, leading Israel away from righteousness rather than to righteousness. But Paul tells us, here's the good news. Where Solomon failed, Jesus has succeeded. Because where Solomon was given some wisdom, Jesus is wisdom itself. And where Solomon led you away, Jesus is going to lead you into the fear of the Lord. He's going to lead you into every gift God has for you. And so by Jesus, the wisdom of God is sanctifying us and making us holy in all we say and do. It is a gift that is given to us to be in right standing with God, but remind ourselves, if wisdom is woven throughout the universe, do I want to just say, well, I'm forgiven, but I'm going to keep walking in foolishness? It's destructive. When you and I walk in folly, we are literally destroying ourselves. And so our king comes and says, I'm not going to do that. So Paul Later on in 1 Corinthians, puts it this way, because 1 Corinthians is a book full of wisdom motifs. It says, don't you know that the wicked will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor male prostitutes, nor homosexual offenders, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And Paul could have kept on going if you don't feel like you're in that list, which would be kind of silly. But but notice what he says here. And that is what some of you were. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit 
of our God. Friends, I was far more than one of those things. And sad to say, I still fall and fail and fall short. But thanks be to God, I am washed. I am justified by what Jesus has done. And thanks be to God that the Spirit of God is not leaving me alone to continue to dwell in that. Because it is destructive. When God says don't be greedy, it's not because He just wants to boss us around. It's because to be greedy is to undo your own existence. To be a liar is to run against the fabric of the universe that is made with truth. To be sexually sinful is to go against the very way God has made us to be. To worship something other than God is to undo my own soul. And so the Holy Spirit comes and says, the wisdom of God has come and is justified and has unlocked this treasure and he's going to increasingly free you from these things for your own good. And so remember, however, do I even in my sanctification as a believer do this in my own power? No, the Spirit of God is given to do this. This is what's so good and I can't understand why people can't rejoice over this. It's not about me or you. It is a gift through what Jesus Christ has done. And then the power to walk in it is not up to you and me. It's the power of the Holy Spirit who does this. He transforms and changes us. Now, how do we apply this? And we're going to predominantly come to the table today. I want to give you one thing and then we're going to come to the Lord's table. And that is, I want you to meditate on this. I've given a lot of stuff here this morning, and I know that. Okay, I know this has been kind of like taking a drink from a fire hydrant. I, I want you to meditate on it this week, because one of the things about wisdom is the longer you meditate, the more it opens up. It, it gives itself over day by day by day. So I want you to think on these Scripture passages. I want you to meditate on that song and that poem. Take the time to think along with the church through the ages. The church has been meditating on this. Let me step aside for a second and say, don't buy into silly stuff that says, oh, we at Bay Ridge came up with this on our own. That would be really bad. The church has been meditating on this for thousands of years, friends. Walk in the wisdom that has gone before. Take time this week and meditate and say, Lord, where am I missing your wisdom? Where, where am I running against the way you have made things? Would you reveal that to me? And then would you anoint me with the Holy Spirit? Would you anoint me with wisdom? So that's kind of homework for the week. But what we're going to do is we're going to come to the table. And... This table is quite apt because if you go back and you read in the book of Proverbs, there is a passage where they use a metaphor for wisdom and she's called Lady Wisdom and she sets out a table and invites everybody to come. Well, we have something better than the metaphor of Lady Wisdom. We have the wisdom of God himself. And he sets out a table for you and me. The metaphor is reality. And he invites us to come here and feast. And he invites us, as we do so, to be empowered by the spirit of wisdom. Now, what we're going to do 
similar to what we did last week. As a matter of fact, we've, we've been sitting, why don't we stand together? We're going to do kind of a responsive thing here this morning because we're going to be a little briefer here at the table. But I'm going to read a scripture passage in a moment, and then there's going to be a response. They'll all be up here on the screen. And I encourage you to hear. These are all biblical verses. Hear them, and let's respond together, and then we will be confessing our sins. God made the earth by his power. He founded the world by his wisdom and stretched out the heavens by his understanding. How many are your works, O Lord, in wisdom you made them all. God, you made humans upright, but we have gone in search of foolish schemes. Today we confess our sins together, asking for mercy from Christ, the wisdom of God. Let's confess our sins together. Almighty and merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you and the works of your hands by what we have done and by what we have left undone. In Jesus Christ, wisdom has come, but we have chosen the paths of foolishness and sin. Gracious God, forgive our sins and remove from us the folly of going our own way, seeking to understand our lives and this world apart from you. Amen. Amen. Friends, our sins are forgiven, for we are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us wisdom from God. That is our righteousness, our holiness, and our redemption. Therefore it is written, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. The table is open. If your boast is in God and not yourself, I invite you to freely come and partake of the feast. You may be seated. For the Lord Jesus on the night he was betrayed took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after supper, he took the cup. And he said, this cup is the new covenant of my blood, which is poured out so that your sins may be forgiven. Drink from this, all of you, in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and you drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Father, we thank you that you have come to us in Jesus Christ and wisdom's feast is open to us. Every rich treasure you have has been unlocked by the key of wisdom, our Lord Jesus Christ. Holy Spirit, meet us here in this sacrament, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to distribute the elements. If you need gluten-free, raise your hand. As we do so, there's going to be a song up here you don't know, probably, uh, but it's a song on the wisdom of God. The lyrics will be on the screen. I encourage you to meditate along with them for God's gift of wisdom to us, and then we will take the meal together in three or four minutes. Christ, the wisdom of God, has set this table. 
and invite you now to his feast. For this bread is the sacrament of Jesus Christ, the true bread of heaven, who was broken for you. Take and eat, receiving grace, mercy, and forgiveness. Brothers and sisters, this cup is the sacrament of the blood of Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God slain for you. Take and drink, receiving and rejoicing in full cleansing of your every sin. Holy Trinity, we thank you for the great salvation you have given to us. Father, you made this whole world and us with wisdom. Jesus, you are the very wisdom of God, and you have shown to us the paths of wisdom and opened the treasury of God's grace and power to us. Holy Spirit, you are the spirit of wisdom and revelation. So come upon us now, renewing our minds, reshaping our hearts, so that we will walk in the wisdom and the fear of God, so that we will trust each way you work in the warp and the woof of our life, that it is all by your wisdom. We ask this in the name of Jesus our Lord, the King and Word of Wisdom. Amen. Let's stand together for a word of benediction, and I'm going to uh, pray out of Paul's, or, or speak the benediction out of Paul's prayer for the Ephesians. And I encourage you, the good news is, because Christ, the wisdom of our God, has come, he has promised to anoint you with the same wisdom. May the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation, so that you may know him better, having the eyes of your heart enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints and his incomparably great power towards us who believe. Go forth blessed and full of wisdom and be a blessing. Amen. Thank you for listening to the teaching ministry of Bay Ridge Christian Church. For more teachings and resources, please visit www.brcc.church.